Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming to you, San Francisco and beyond. So many venues this year. Atlas Cafe, Madam Racecar, The Bar on Dolores, El Rio, Baby Blues Barbecue, OMG, and the Alameda Comedy Club, as well as Emperor Norton's Boozland and Mutiny Radio. 28 shows all week. Get your tickets at Eventbrite and for free on Sunday the 16th. It's a block party, part of the Phoenix Day block party. See you or livable city who brought you Sunday streets. We're going to have a block party. We're going to have the bacon, bacon food truck, art vendors, 40 comedians from all over the United States outside, ready to make you laugh. Please come out to the seventh annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival at eight different venues, October 9th through 16th, 2022. See you there. The National Lawyers Guild is dedicated to the need for basic change in the structure of our political and economic systems. They seek to unite lawyers, law students, legal workers, and jailhouse lawyers of America to function as an effective political and social force in the service of the people, to the end that human rights shall be regarded as more sacred than mere property interests. For more information about your legal rights, how to obtain legal assistance, or to donate, please contact the National Lawyers Guild at nlgsg.org. That's nlgsg.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Thank you. 
from plunder and pollution and mother earth be free feminism ain't about women but that's not who it is for it's about shifting consciousness that we're bringing into war so listen up you fathers listen up you sons and tell me which side are you on now which side are Come all you good workers, good news to you I'll tell of how the good old union has come in here to dwell. My daddy was a miner, and I'm a miner's son, and I'll stick with the union till every battle's won. Tell me which side are you on? 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 They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Tell me which side are you on? Which side are you on? Can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Tell me which side are you on? 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 Don't scab for the bosses. Don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance.
Of another rhyme, smoking, hoping that some bad news will come some other time. Cause I'm trying to do what I love. I love what I do. This music is something more different than the weed and the brew. That's why we mashing. We ain't asking for nothing. We working for it. Push it, pedal it to the people. They can't ignore it. This is for all the independents, a few major labels, the big studios who still give niggas favors on the mixing and mastering, puzzling and plastering the tracks together on tape, CDs, wax or whatever. This is for all the engineers who smoke weed. Can't forget about the production cost and all the hidden fees for another rhyme written. We spend time spitting in the booth. Sometimes it's like a pigeon coop, but it's all for the cause. Yeah, so I'm gonna continue to MC and smoke weed. You know I'm rolling up another whistle, listening to the beat again. Drinking, but we're concentrating, smoking another sweet again. Steadily rewinding, trying to make some hot shit. Oh, what a job this is. Another all nighter trying to get it done. Barely making home with the morning sun. Baby mother thinking that you own some other shit. Oh, what a job this is. As easy as it looks to you, I make it look so easy. easy. With the music I be making, the impression I be leaving. A lot of folks, they stop and stare, thinking I'm a trick it off. I roll another bleasy, puff it, pass it, and shake it off. Move on to the next phase, and it's amazing. The next generation of rappers, big Snoop Dogg raising Mm. That's 15 years in the game, still got the fortune and fame Yeah, I'm doing my thing, check this depth And somebody said that real G's go to heaven So I'm gonna keep spitting the truth on these fools like a reverend Stay open like 7-Eleven, that's 24-7 When you need some hot shit, stop by and get you a beverage I'm serving my rhymes like nickels and dimes Plug it in, let it play, and let me blow your mind It's the dominant conglomerate, prominent And I'ma get what I gotta get Twist another sweet and pop to the beat Rolling up and Another whistle, listening to the beat again. Drinking, but we're concentrating. Smoke another sweet again. Steadily rewinding, trying to make some hot shit. Oh, what a job this is! Another all nighter, trying to get it done. Barely making home with the morning sun. Baby mother thinking that you own some other shit. Oh, what a job this is! We work nights, we some vampires. Niggas gather round the beat like a campfire. Singing folk songs, but not no kumbaya, my lord. You download it for free, we get charged back for it. I know you're saying they won't know, they won't miss it. Besides, I ain't a thief, they won't pay me a visit. So if I come to your job, take your corn on the cob and take a couple kernels off it, that would be alright with you. Hell no, yeah, exacto mundo. But we just keep recording and it ain't to get no condo. And candy Bentley Fanny with no panties in Miami. And that cute little chick named Tammy that you took to the Grammy. See, we 
do it for that boy that graduated that look you in your eyes real tough and say appreciate it and that he wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for your cd number nine and he's standing with his baby mama kiki and she crying time out that they used to get hot to me in hot school and they used to make love to me in college then they told me about their first date listening to my tunes and high heat like to fingernail polish i say hate to cut you off but i gotta go i wish you could tell me more but i'm off to the studio gotta write tonight hey can you put us in your raps i don't see why not Devin is the dude you gonna probably hear him talking by rolling up another whistle listening to the beat again drinking but we're concentrating smoke another sweet again steadily rewinding trying to make some hot shit oh what a job this is another all nighter trying to get it done barely make it home with the morning sun baby mother thinking that you're on some other shit oh what a job this is yeah this life we live yeah. What a job this is. Real spit, man. A lot of folks wanna walk in these shoes, but they just don't know, man. It's a hell of a job, man. To be a rapper, MC, whatever you wanna call it, man. We got a lot to deal with. Family members, we gotta always look out for. Baby mama nagging. You know what I'm saying? Kids need this. And then again, the public need that. We gotta make hot music. Cause if it ain't hot, it don't mean shit. But you know, it's all in the day's work. <laughs> what a job this is, my nigga. Yeah. What's cracking like in Devin the Dizzle? Yeah. Snoop D.O. Dub, yeah. J Prince, Jazz Prince. Yeah, yeah rap a lot. Yeah. Still on top. 2007. And good morning. It is labor and love after all. Huh? We have. Uh... Played a couple of songs for you, a couple of versions of a long time labor anthem. And then we got into some hip hop. What a job it is. Guys, working, staying up all night to put out a record. And uh, this is Labor and Love. This is the B. And it's good to be here. It's good to have everything here in the studio working. Here you are, MutinyRadio.fm, the uh, community arts center for one of them for the mission. 21st in Florida, 2781, 21st Street to be exact. Come on down to Mutiny and find your voice. We got video, we got comedy, we got radio, we got art installations. This is where it's happening. Come on down, rent a space, throw your own event. Come on down to Mutiny and find yourself, find your voice. This is The Bee and this is Labor and Love Radio. We come on every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 show by, for, and about working people and their movements. This is the show where we tell you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Look around you. It's happening all around you. That profit, that huge profit that the billionaires brag about. 
that competition they have. That's on your work. That's your labor that produces that wealth. Mr. Musk, Mr. Bezos, all the big moguls you know, who are so proud of their billions. But those billions came from you. In an elaborate or not so elaborate system called capitalism. You don't have a seat at the table where you work. You're on the menu. They're talking about you when they sit down in that back room and sign those papers and make those agreements and shake one another's hand. That's you they're talking about because you're making them rich. Your work makes them rich. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. This is the B. I'm a member of two unions myself, Local 510 and UESF. United Educators of San Francisco. Let's see what we got on our show today. Mm. Spooky campaign ads from the habituation room. Francesca Fiorentini fixes on a couple of very weird ads that are put out mainly by Republicans. U.S. is the most overwhelmed nation in the world. Didn't you know that? Homage to the double play, a baseball bar that recently burned down. Beyonce and the Dixie Chicks, they'll be on our next music break. Daddy Lessons. Radio Labor, the world's labor connection. Tom Morello, hold the line. Gen Z. Now this is something I happened across. Gen Z and a labor movement. Movement being led by Gen Z people. This week we lost Jerry Lee Lewis, huh? Something about him. And one of his classic songs. Got a whole lot here. Starbucks and their pin problem. Can't wear a pin in some Starbucks. Labor history in two. I could go on and on and on and on. Want to talk a little about the voter guide. This is uh, almost the last show before the November 8th election. So I can share some of the pissed off voter guides things. And, um, well, let's, let's look at radio labor. 
Waiting for late radio labor to come on. Let's listen to a little bit of kind of blue. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 28th, 2022. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, why whistleblowers are crucial to saving quality public services. More teachers are needed so climate change can be confronted. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. Union, Grandpa, Union, Grandpa, so tell me what did you do, what you do? This is Radio Labor. Whistleblowing is one of the most crucial tools that can be used to ensure that public services are performed correctly. A whistleblower is a person, often an employee, who reveals information about activity within a public or private organization that is deemed illegal or immoral, illicit, unsafe, or fraudulent. The importance of protecting whistleblowers was highlighted at a recent conference organized by the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the UN agency focused on matters of work in the world. Delegates who participated in the conference were interviewed by media officers from Public Services International. The PSI represents 30 million public sector workers in 154 countries. One of the conference delegates who was interviewed was Krista Devine, the General Counsel and Branch Director for the Public Service Alliance of Canada, the PSAC. I think the primary challenge for public servants wanting to come forward when they see wrongdoing is they need to have confidence in the process that, uh, that is available to them to bring forward those, those um, problems, um, illegal activities, Sometimes uh, public health threats, issues of national security, and they need to have uh, confidence that those institutions uh, will treat them fairly and that they will not be subject to reprisals. I think the most effective legislative schemes are those that provide for uh, effective interim relief to protect um, those who come forward and that uh, ensure that the burden of proof is not so unwieldy that they end up in litigation for years, if not decades, and lose their uh, living as, as a result. I think the most critical piece is that we move beyond speaking uh, to the value of whistleblower protection without providing effective frameworks. Uh, the experience in my own country is that we've had legislation in place for uh, 16 years now, and there's been very little reporting. In fact, reporting has been decreased, and those that come forward are not protected. I think we need to take this opportunity to learn from those countries that have put in more effective measures, particularly to protect whistleblowers as they come forward, to ensure that issues of public interest are brought forward and the um, public sector uh, goals are met. In Canada, it's uh, shocking when you actually look beneath the facade of the 
public sector uh, disclosure protections. In fact, uh, when you look at the various departments that have developed mechanisms for folks to come forward, you'll see that annual, annually no one is coming forward, and as time has passed, fewer and fewer people are coming forward. And the Public Sector Integrity Commissioner uh, himself has recently reported that there's growing cynicism around uh, the uh, protections available to whistleblowers. There is unanimity that there is wrongdoing, but there is also great cynicism in coming forward to address those problems in the public service. Another delegate who participated in the ILO conference on whistleblowers was Michael Tull. Mr. Tull is Assistant National Secretary of Australia's Community and Public Sector Union, the CPSU. A key gap and a crucial gap for all of us is that whistleblowers or people who are thinking about being whistleblowers don't have protections and rights to get advice from a trade union. And we know from the research, we know from the Australian experience and from the international research that this is a crucial point. Where people can get advice from their trade union, they feel more confident and capable about making a disclosure if they need to do it. And if they do make a disclosure, they're much, uh, they are safer and more likely to be successful and not suffer reprisals. So one of the key things that I've come to this meeting for is to make the case and make the argument that in a future global standard, it must identify and address that particular point. Workers should have the right, a protected right, to get advice and support from their union when they, when they are considering being a whistleblower. Teachers globally recognise the urgency of transforming education systems to respond to the climate crisis. That is Johanna Yara Ostrand, a vice president of Education International's executive board representing the European region. She is also the president of the Swedish Teachers Union. Education International, EI, is the global union which represents 33 million teachers and other education workers around the world. Ms. Yara Ostrand was speaking at a recent EI conference in support of the global union's Teach for the Planet campaign. We are faced with an existential crisis, like we had a battle for our lives. And the education sector must play its role in the struggle to protect both the current and future generations and sustain our planet. By taking a lifelong learning approach from early childhood education to adult and higher education, learners will be empowered to contribute to solutions. With our global Teach for the Planet campaign, Teachers have been calling for immediate reforms to ensure that education systems are fit for purpose in the context of the climate emergency. Already, children, students, teachers and communities, especially girls, people with disabilities, indigenous peoples and those in countries who have contributed the least to causing climate change are being severely impacted. The effects of climate change, such as heat waves, floods and extreme weather events, are threatening students' right to quality education and teachers' right to decent working conditions. Our manifesto on quality climate change education for all outlines a vision where 
all education institutions are safe, climate resilient and sustainable. Every student receives quality education in the context of climate crisis through well-funded public education systems that prioritize climate education in curricula, teacher training and policy. And that every teacher is supported and enabled to teach for climate action, providing students with skills, knowledge and attitudes to live sustainably, adapt to climate uh, impacts and hold policymakers accountable to reduce carbon emissions and center climate justice. We are therefore thrilled about the development of the Greening Education Partnership. This is a unique opportunity for governments to commit to bold comprehensive action to make their education systems climate smart. And on behalf of, the teach of teachers across all regions, I urge every government here today to commit to the partnership and earmark the necessary resources to enable green education. One crucial component of the partnership is to commit to building teachers' capacity and readiness to teach for climate action. This is critical. A recent EI UNESCO survey showed that approximately 90% of nearly 60,000 teachers surveyed believed it was important to teach about the severity of climate change, but only 40% felt confidence to teach about the topic. And to provide quality education in the context of the climate crisis, teachers of all subjects and grades need quality training for climate education, both through pre-service and professional development opportunities. Teachers also need the enabling conditions and support to provide climate education. This includes quality teaching and learning resources, opportunities for collaboration and innovation, professional autonomy and time. In Sweden, we have several examples of teachers who use their spare time to develop teaching materials and pedagogical tools to contribute to the collegial learning and knowledge for climate education. I mean, it's wonderful that teachers take the lead in developing teaching and resources but it would be even better if government guaranteed time for teachers to develop climate education with colleagues as part of their job within working times. You can find more information about EI's Teach for the Planet campaign at ei-ie.org. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the ways in which Australian footballers and their union are trying to draw attention to labor and other human rights violations in Qatar in the lead-up to the World Cup. Strikes by Iranian workers in a broad range of industries as they move to support anti-regime protesters and calls for an end to attacks on labor rights defenders in the Philippines. We also carried news of the nurses' strike in New Zealand, the persecution of the head of the Fiji Trade Unions Congress, and how Sri Lankan workers are responding to skyrocketing inflation. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news items about how the new Australian federal budget will impact working women, a safety strike by South African nurses, and the graduation of the first class of women welders from a union-sponsored training program in the Philippines. 
A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week includes the toll that workplace violence is having on Canadian healthcare workers, the monumental corruption that is largely responsible for the deaths of hundreds of workers at the Qatar World Cup construction site, and more union reactions to the deaths of 41 Turkish miners. Our current photo of the week is of Guatemalan union members risking their lives by marching to demand an end to attacks on trade unionists, including the assassination of prominent labor activists. LaborStart hosts online solidarity actions at the request of unions around the world. This week we'd like to highlight an urgent appeal for online solidarity with trade union activists in Turkey, where workers at a tobacco products factory who were sacked en masse when they joined a union affiliated with the DISC Central Labor Federation. If you can spare just a few seconds, you can do your part in this struggle by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Australia's Victorian Trade Union Choir with You Knew, Grandpa, You Knew. to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
Well, I'm going to play something through the phone. Let's see if we can get it up. Here we go. Um, looking to play. Not getting anything coming through. Here we go, Beyonce and the Vic Dixie Chicks.
Okay, we had uh, you knew grandpa, you knew, and we followed that up with um, Beyonce and the Dixie Chicks playing together in 2016 at the CME Awards. Seems like Texas is big enough for Beyonce and Natalie and the Chicks. (laughs) 
great mix of blues, country, um, hip-hop production number. A lot of people were not happy. A lot of conservative people were not happy that Beyonce showed up at a country music award festival or that the Dixie Chicks, who have professed their political views against the Iraq war and with popular movements all through the country, had a stage. So it was a controversial, a controversial mix, but as far as I'm concerned, it was wholly successful. All right, I want to get on to um, a Gen Z show. Hey, there's a Gen Z show called Let's See if we can get it. Running a little slow today with our computer. Gen Z is leading a nationwide labor movement. Need to know. The past few years have prompted a shift in how the public thinks about labor unions. Need to know. Nothing coming through. Okay, well, let's move over to something else. The U.S. is the most overworked country in the world. We as Americans, this is um, something, 20-something finance. We as Americans work too many hours. If you don't believe so, Check out the following data points that compare us to our peers around the world. Americans are often referred to as lazy, but we are far from it. We work hard, we are productive, and we work a lot of hours with very little paid holiday, vacation, and parental leave to show for it. Let's break down some of the data. 20-something finance. Okay, talking about work and family life balance. In 1960, only 20% of mothers worked. Today, 70% of American children live in households where all adults are employed. doesn't matter who stays home and who works in terms of gender. Work opportunity... Equality for all. It's a family choice. But when all adults are working within a household with children, that's a huge hit to the American family and free time in the American household. The U.S. is the only country in the Americas without a national paid parental leave benefit. Let me read that again. The U.S. is the only country in the Americas 
the only country in the Americas without a national paid police The average is over 12 weeks of paid leave anywhere other than Europe and 20 weeks in Europe. Zero industrialized nations are without a mandatory option for new parents to take parental leave. That is, except for the United States. At least 134 countries have laws setting the maximum length of work week. The U.S. does not. This whole idea of a 40-hour week gone. According to BLS Time News surveys, full-time employed females in the U.S. work an average of 8.33 hours per day. Full-time employed males work an average of 9.09 hours per day. Workers work an average of 1,767 hours per year. OECD country average of about a hundred hours less. Four hundred and thirty-four more hours than German workers, four hundred more than United Kingdom workers, three hundred and sixty-five more than French workers, and a hundred and sixty-nine more hours per year than Japanese workers. Of course, the stereotype is that workers, especially Asian workers, work way more. And there certainly are a lot of situations where they do. But full-time employed workers, the U.S. leads. Productivity per American worker has increased 430% since 1950. One way to look at that is that it should take less than one quarter of work hours, 10 hours per week, to afford the same standard of living as a worker in 1950. Or, standard of living should be over four times higher. Is that the case? Obviously not. Someone is profiting. It's just not the average American worker. Between 1970 and now, the productivity of American workers has gone way up. Their wages have stagnated. That difference between the productivity, the wealth produced, and wages has been profit for corporations. And what did the corporations do with it? They turned around and loaned it to us. I'm not telling you to work less hours if you generally love what you do and are doing it for the right reasons. Spend all your waking hours plugging away. But for many of us, more work leads to more stress and lower quality of life. 
about time to unwind, take care of your home, spend time with loved ones, enjoy our hobbies, connect with friends. Generally live a more balanced life. Stress is the number one cause of health problems. And of course the bottom line here is that under capitalism we are commodities. Our lives are bought and sold because that's the way under capitalism, that's the way you survive. That's the way you pay for the things you need to keep living and keep your quality of life up. Too many workers working too many hours for too little pay has resulted in the great resignation. See if we can find uh, the past few years have prompted a shift in how the public thinks about work-life balance. The result, a labor movement unlike anything we've seen in decades. I'm Domati Pungo, and this is MTV News. Need to know. Need to know on MTV. We are in Gen the midst X. of a revolutionary labor movement with activity picking up in sectors that have never before had unions, from retail stores to tech companies to strip clubs. In the past year alone, employees have successfully voted for the first ever unions at Amazon, Apple, Trader Joe's, Chipotle, and more. And workers are pushing to unionize across the country in record numbers. This wave of organizing has been met with stiff opposition from employers. Take Starbucks, where stores have been unionizing across the country at record speeds in a trend that's being stymied by higher-ups. In 2022, workers have filed 250 unfair labor practice charges, claiming Starbucks engaged in surveillance, fired workers, and closed a store in Ithaca, New York, in retaliation for voting to unionize. The tension reached a fever pitch during a bargaining session on October 24th. Workers who voted to unionize from stores in Ann Arbor, Buffalo, Chicago, Long Beach, and Louisville met with Starbucks attorneys to begin negotiating contracts. Some were in person while others joined virtually. The company's reps ended up walking out of the meeting, claiming that they had not agreed to meet virtually for this session. Starbucks reps say that they'll continue negotiations, but only if they happen in person. Organizers believe that this is a stalling tactic to avoid giving them what they want higher hourly pay, better benefits, appropriate staffing, and more control over their schedules. It's not far-fetched to believe Starbucks is using tricky moves to bust up union efforts, given the fact that CEO Howard Schultz has been against unions for a long time. And penalties for breaking the National Labor Relations Act are weak, so they don't serve as much of a deterrent to large companies. Kim Kelly, a labor journalist and the author of Fight Like Hell, told MTV News that corporate union-busting tactics have low-key been going on for hundreds of years. Labor movements rarely get warranted media attention because a lot of media outlets are owned by giants known for union-busting themselves. But still, organizing is gaining momentum. Unions are having a moment, and that moment is being led in so many ways by Gen Z, by young people, by black and brown and queer and trans workers, workers who came of age during the Great Recession, saw their parents and their grandparents struggling and decided once they hit the workforce, all right, we gotta do something about all this. Gen Z and millennials are rebuffing grind culture and have been prioritizing self-care, which also means they've been reimagining how they operate within the workforce. 
This was accelerated by the pandemic when various low-wage jobs were deemed essential. Yet, as workloads and health risks increased, the federal minimum wage remained at just $7.25 an hour. The same has been for over a decade. And as corporations are celebrating ballooning profits, the larger population is dealing with rising costs of living, the effects of inflation, and increased college tuition. That's most likely why support for this movement has spread across all age groups. According to a Gallup poll, 71% of Americans now approve of labor unions. The highest Gallup has recorded on this measure since 1965. Digital strategist at Gen Z for Change, Sean Wiggs, told MTV News that now is the perfect time for others to get involved. The best, most impactful way for somebody to get involved in the labor movement is simple. Talk to your coworkers. Workers' rights is something that unites people across racial lines, across gender lines, across age lines. Educate them and yourself on what unions actually are. Now, with this new generation entering the workforce, it is the perfect time for us to organize ourselves and demand more. I'm Doma T. Pongo, and that's what you need to know. Might as well say that's the theme, work-life balance. Now, this is a study from Gettysburg College. One-third of your life is spent at work. The average person will spend 90,000 hours at work over a lifetime. Writer Annie Dillard famously said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. For many of us, a large portion of our days is spent at work. The average person will spend 90,000 hours of work over a lifetime. That's from a study at Gettysburg College. And let's Let's get one more. Workers at Cisco. Cisco strikers reach a goal. It's all about work-life balance here. Three-week multi-state strikes caused supply chain interruptions but drew widespread community support. This week, and we're talking October 20th, Two Teamster locals won new contracts with the behemoth food distributor Cisco, ending a nearly month-long strike that drew national support. More than 200 workers for Cisco, America's largest food distributor, went on strike in Syracuse, New York on September 27th. Days later, more than 300 drivers for Cisco Boston went on strike in Massachusetts. Workers in Arizona also reportedly struck in solidarity. On October 17th, workers at a Syracuse distribution center ratified their new contract with Cisco, one that Sean Miller, a warehouse worker and shop steward, with Teamsters Local 17 says involved zero concessions to the company. 
In one key victory, Cisco agreed to limit the grueling six-day work weeks and the 16-hour days some drivers spoke of and dropped a plan that would prevent new employees from taking consecutive days off. The workers are starting to realize in a collective way, in an overweening way, that they deserve better. They deserve they deserve not to have to serve 16-hour days or consecutive days. The rail workers now turned down a contract. What was the problem? Well, the problem was that the contract was offering them one paid day off <laughs> a year. <laughs> Today, workers in Boston voted 235, two, 215 to 2 to approve a contract that includes an immediate $5 raise and beats back health care concessions, but does not include a Teamster pension plan that workers fought for. Base hourly pay will rise from $28 an hour to $33 an hour and increase by another $6 over the contract term. Workers also retained their current health care plan over a more expensive plan Cisco had previously proposed as a final offer. In a press release, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters declared it a phenomenal victory. Workers in these times spoke with said... They supported the contract and are happy to get to work, but were not popping corks. They expressed disappointment with the pension and felt wage increases did not go far enough. Now, what's the big problem? These companies are making tons of money. This is a huge time for corporations. What's the problem? And then they turn around and offer the least they can to their workers. Well, the problem is they're paying shareholders first and they're paying their boards of directors and their CEOs. That's where the money's going. You've read or heard about big CEO salaries? That's where the money's going. If we cut out that middleman, if workers become the owners, workers become the boards, and workers' committees become the CEOs, that profit will be much higher for everybody to get a piece of. When you hear some company complaining about, you know, that it's having a hard time making ends meet, that's because they're paying that upper level of directors, of managers, of CEOs. If you've ever eaten at a U.S. restaurant, you've probably eaten food delivered by Cisco. Company signature giant trucks deliver staples like spices, poultry, and produce to restaurants, hospitals, and schools. Since its inception in 1969, 
has a Goldman Sachs-funded merger of nine companies. Cisco has absorbed more than 150 competitors. According to the American Economic Liberties Project, an antitrust watchdog, Cisco now controls an estimated 30% of the broadline distribution market. Of course, of course, they say it's only 17%. As Boston workers began their strike October 1st, more than 250 members of Arizona Teamsters, Local 104, went to work on month-long strike this summer after their contract expired, reportedly refused to work in solidarity. Arizona filed a lawsuit against the Teamsters, accusing the union of violating the ban on secondary strikes, which the Pro-Labor Pro-Act would overturn. Cisco agreed to withdraw all lawsuits as part of October 20th contract agreement. Cisco did not respond. This is in these times. Headline is Cisco Strikers Reach a Deal. All right, there was one more that I wanted to show you because... Work-life ratio, huh? Um, let's see. I can look it up. Um, the point of it was that Workers had turned down a $28,000 bonus to go back to work. All right. New York Daily News on strike, October 25th. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1990. That was the day that eight of the ten unions at the New York Daily News went out on strike. The paper had had one of the highest daily circulations in the United States. The New York Daily News was owned by the Chicago-based Tribune Company. The strike began when management demanded major concessions from the delivery drivers, essentially forcing them out on strike. Seven more unions joined them on the picket line. In retaliation, management brought in scab labor. This caused the ninth union to join the walkout. The newspaper guild workers had planned to honor the picket lines, but not go on strike themselves. But according to an article in the Los Angeles Times, quote, said local guild president Barry Lipton, the editorial employees decided almost immediately at an afternoon meeting to go on strike rather than to work with any imported scabs and goons. 
Well-known journalist Juan Gonzalez was a strike leader for the local. By using replacement workers, Daily News Management was able to keep the paper in production. But they found it much more difficult to get the paper distributed. Even where they could make delivery, many newsstands refused to sell the struck paper. The New York Times blamed this on intimidation from the delivery drivers. But they also acknowledged that some refused distribution either out of sympathy for strikers or an unwillingness to offend pro-union customers. To support the strike, the unions put on a concert headlined by Lou Reed, along with Pete Seeger, Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest, and other musicians. The strike lasted for five months, prompting the Tribune to sell the paper. Under new management, the strike was finally settled. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1825. That was the day the construction of the Erie Canal was completed. The 363-mile canal connected the Atlantic Ocean to the Great Lakes by way of the Hudson River. The project was started in 1817. Thousands of workers toiled on the project. Many German immigrants worked as stonemasons on the project, while immigrants from Northern Ireland worked as general laborers. First, they had to clear the thick growth of forest that covered much of the planned canal path. And then they had to dig the canal by hand with picks and shovels. Once dug, they had to line the canal with stones and clay and construct the locks. For this backbreaking work, they received between 30 and 50 cents per day. There were many dangers working on the canal. Laborers had to struggle through knee-deep mud as the canal crossed the boggy ground of the Montezuma Swamp west of Syracuse, New York. Hundreds of workers contracted malaria. They called the illness swamp fever. It is uncertain, however, how many workers died building the canal. Some estimates are as high as 1,000 workers. Many who died were buried in unmarked graves along the waterway. Like the stories of many working people, their names are lost to history. I got a mule and a name is Sam. Fifteen miles on the Erica now. She's a good old worker and a good old pal. Fifteen miles on the Erica now. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. We know every inch of the way from Albany to Buffalo. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1951. That was the day that the United Negro Labor Council held its founding convention. African-American workers had made significant gains in the American workforce during World War II. The National March on Washington movement, led by A. Philip Randolph, had led President Franklin Delano Roosevelt to sign an executive order desegregating war industry jobs. But as the war ended, these gains slowed and in some cases were even reversed. In 1950, 900 African Americans gathered in Chicago to discuss the problem. They decided to form a new organization. 
specifically focused on issues of black employment. By the next year, 23 chapters of the United Negro Labor Council had been established throughout the country. More than 1,000 white and black labor activists attended that first convention in Cincinnati. One-third of the attendees were women. One of the first goals established by the organization was to get fair employment practice clauses into every union contract. The first person to speak at the convention was Vicki Garvin, one of the convention's lead planners. She declared, we are making history today. But that history was cut short. The National Negro Labor Council faced accusations from the mainstream labor movement that it was a communist front. One of the organization's leaders, Coleman Young, was brought before the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Young had worked for Ford prior to World War II, but lost his job due to his union activity. He fought in World War II as one of the Tuskegee Airmen. Coleman refused to give testimony against his fellow National Negro Labor Council members. Young would eventually go on to become the first black mayor of Detroit, but the National Negro Labor Council would be dissolved by the Red Scare, dissolving in 1956. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1965. That was the day that the St. Louis Gateway Arch was completed in St. Louis. The project was the result of a nationwide design competition. The arch soars 630 feet above the ground and is the highest monument in the United States. The arch was made from 900 tons of stainless steel. It was meant to symbolize St. Louis's role as gateway to Western expansion. The groundbreaking ceremony for the project was held in 1959. Workers from multiple unions were involved in building the arch. 250 boilermakers from local 659 in Warren, Pennsylvania, built the arch section. Iron workers completed the on-site assembly. Electricians and plumbers were involved in the construction as well. According to historian Clarence Lang, the construction of the arch also became a focus of local activists' frustration by the lack of integration in federally funded construction projects. In July of 1964, Percy Green, a black activist, and Richard Daly, a white activist, scaled up 125 feet of the unfinished arch. The 29-year-old Green was the chairman of the Employment Committee for the Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE. As Green and Daly perched on the arch, they shut down construction that day. Other protesters held a press conference below. They demanded that 10% of the work on the project be provided to African Americans. No black workers were hired as skilled craftsmen on the project. After four hours, the men climbed down and were arrested. The action brought media attention to the lack of black workers, not just at the St. Louis Arch, but at construction projects throughout the nation. Like what you hear? Check out more at Labor History in Two. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1929. That bleak day is now known as Black Tuesday the day of the stock market crash that marked the start of the Great Depression. During the optimistic Roaring Twenties, investments in the stock market soared. Between 1924 and 1929, the Dow Jones Industrial Average quadrupled. By 1929, two of every $5 borrowed in bank loans were spent on stock investments. 
as stock investors overextended themselves, they failed to read troubling economic signs. Farm communities were sliding into an economic depression. Consumer credit was reaching unsustainable levels. The first signs, or trouble, began on Black Thursday, October 24th, when the market lost 11% of its value. Then on Monday, it slid another 13%. By Tuesday, the market opened in a melee. In the first 30 minutes, 13 million shares were sold. At the time, stock transactions were recorded on ticker tape. According to Time Magazine, by the end of the panic-filled day, 15,000 miles of ticker tape had been printed. The final totals were devastating. The market had dropped another 12%. Stocks continued to fall over the next few weeks. In all, $25 billion was lost. That equals more than $300 billion in today's money. The events of 1929 signaled the beginning of a global economic depression. The depression was devastating for working people. Before the depression, there were 25,000 banks in the United States. By 1933, 11,000 of them had failed. Families saw their entire life savings wiped away overnight. Unemployment soared to 25%. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt implemented his New Deal policies to put people back to work. Like what you hear? Check out more at LaborHistoryInTwo.
Before we go any further, I would like to send a message to all the underground MCs out there working hard. The time has come to realize your net worth in the market and stop being a fucking commodity. And if you didn't understand what I just said, then you already waiting to get fucked. For example, a lot of these promoters are doing showcases, throwing events, and not even paying the workhorses. They trying to get us to rock for the love of hip hop or rock for the exposure. Uh, look, man, I don't mind doing a guest spot for my peeps or, or doing a benefit show, but don't lie to me, pussy, because I find out I'm paying your light bill. I'm fucking you up, nigga. Besides, you ain't doing this for the love. You ain't doing this for the exposure. You charging up to $10 at the door, and you ain't trying to give me shit? So wait a minute. You want me to go shopping, cook the food, and put it in front of you, but you won't let me sit down to eat with you? The fuck is that? Niggas need to start playing their position, man. Just cause you throw a party or host an event or an open mic or a showcase or a battle, that don't make you important at all. Without me and everybody like me out there, you ain't nothing but a good idea, motherfucker. So stay in your place. And to all these bitch ass A&Rs who are too lazy to come up with a way to sell records. So they keep recycling marketing schemes and imagery. Come on. 
There's a market for everything, man. There's a market for pet psychologists, nigga. There's a market for twisted shit fetish videos, for nipple rings, for river dancing, for chocolate covered roaches. But you can't find one for cultured, hardcore reality and hip hop. People like you, the house nigga executives, and them rich motherfuckers that own you. You the motherfucking machine, man. You and all these niggas talking about the same shit with the same flow over the same candy ass beats. But I refuse to feed the machine, and I'm not giving any magazine money. So maybe my album won't get five mics or double XLs or five discs or whatever, man. Fuck it. But then again, you don't own me. None of you niggas ever will. If I'm feeling what you fight for, I'm rolling with you to the end. But if not, then fuck you. And the more that MCs, producers, DJs, and independent labels start to grasp the conceptuality of what their contribution to the business of hip hop is, rather than just the music, the more the industry will be forced to change. Oh, and one last thing. You don't have to agree with everything I said, but don't ever be condescending to me. Bigging up your whack ass friends that rhyme and being like, oh yeah, Mortal Technique, he's aight. No, nigga. Your mom's pussy, that's aight, okay? Your people's getting shot dead in the street, that's aight. I'm the motherfucking Immortal Technique, nigga. The message and the money. And you ain't got either. Remember that. Punk ass motherfucker. See? black race can't afford you no more. Oh, there used to be a time we'd see somebody like you singing, clowning, gasabossing, and we wouldn't do anything. Folks liked that. You were good. Homie kind of nigga. When they needed somebody to mistreat, call a name or two, they paraded you. Reminded them of the good old days. Mm. Not no more. The day of the Geechee is gone, boy. And you going with it. Yeah, nigga. Immortal technique. Metaphysics. The bling bling ever was cute, but it's about to be done. Chicanos de East LA, allá arriba y arriba. Allá arriba y arriba 
500 union members from three United Steelworkers of America locals 
at West Rock's Mart, pa Mart Mill Paper Mill in Cottonton, Alabama, voted to reject a second contract offer of the company. This is on the Real News Network, and the headline is Work-Life Balance is at the Center of This Dispute. The refusal to ratify West Rock's last best and final offer came as a result of the company insisting on removing contract language pertaining to what workers there call penalties for long hours. Members resoundingly rejected this contract, even though it included an unheard of $28,000 ratification bonus, increased from an already staggering offer of $20,000, which workers already rejected on September 1st. So here we are. These workers have more important than just money. Yeah, the money's great. What an offer. Could do a lot with $28,000, couldn't you? But what's more important? They say they can't be bought off with bonuses for signing a contract that will ensure them that they have even less time for life outside of work. So this is what you're fighting for. Besides a raise, you're fighting for more of your own time. This is your time on earth. You're forced to spend a great deal of it. We heard earlier 90,000 hours of your life at work. What's more important? Okay, the money's good. Even less time for life outside of work. Anyway. Unlike so many other paper mill workers, these folks have been able to retain a penalty for these seven-day work weeks in the form of the Sunday premium. Any work performed on a Sunday is paid at time and a half at the mill, double time if they already are over 40 for the week. One of the workers said this is important language to retain because a penalty should be paid when you work somebody seven days a week without a day of rest. I think that's obvious, but West Rock disagrees. They want to take this from them despite, like so many corporations, bragging about record profits. They gave their CEO a 300% raise last year. Their profits are over $3 billion. These workers also have another protection the company wants to take away, something the workers call hog law which states that if a shift goes over 16 hours, 16 hours now, of consecutive hours of work, the employee is paid time and a half back to the first hour. This is meant to disincentivize the company 
from 16-hour shifts. And the company is only offering a two-point-some-odd increase percent annually. So, this goes to show you, people are thinking about these long hours, and of course, it sounds good to work long hours and earn a lot of money. But there are things that are just as important or more important, and that's quality of life. In this case, the Alabama workers are fighting for their own lives, fighting for their own time. Okay, quality of life. Let's make that the theme of today's show. Okay, quality of life does not necessarily mean making a lot of money by breaking your ass and working 16-hour shifts. There's more to life than that. There's your family. There's your time for your own personal relaxation and civilization of your life. Okay. Time to go. This is labor and love. This is the bee. So long it's been good to hear you. Have you hear me? Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Next week, the upcoming election and the pissed-off voters' guide. Remember, never but never let anyone into your life who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. And if you don't have a seat... the negotiating table where you work. You're on the menu. They want you to work as much as you can for as little as they want to pay you. Don't stand for it. This is the B signing off. See you next week. Stay tuned for Scott Walker and Flat Black Plastic.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Four ninety-nine. John Wessick here. I have a new poetry collection on Amazon. Here's the title poem, The Shaman in the Library. Naked except for a loincloth, ritual scars and streaks of red clay, he attends the staff meeting, all haircut, back straight, face impressive. Why is he here? No one knows. Since the library opened, he's pushed the loaded book cart and replaced Suzanne Summers and Gwyneth Paltrow in the diet and exercise section. Trembling patrons pay late fees promptly when he stands by the circulation desk. A few parents complain their teenagers shadow him, chasing rumors of hallucinogenic ayahuasca vines hidden in the botany section. And after the singed carpet incident, management forbade cooking fires. No more fresh rabbit meat, only packets of microwave cassava. He pricks his fingertip at shift's end and fills out his timesheet with human blood. It's a good life. His employer provides health insurance and a retirement plan. But when the wild parrots come to strip fruit from nearby trees, he remembers the land of his birth, his vision quest, fasting to the point of death and how his spirit animal came to him. He remembers inhabiting the jaguar's body, its savage strength and the power he gained, power to take life and heal. Free from culture and convention, he hunted at night, the heart-pounding chase, the taste of wild boar's blood. Oh. 
I was just leaving the theater. Cadillac convertible, 1969 gold Cadillac. I find pretty hard to believe. Black Block, a novel about protest from Sanjuro, a sample. The walk from Union Square to the bar is a long way for a drink, so you want a few stopovers. You get warmed up at Lefty O'Doul's, an old-time tavern with memorabilia and a menu from another century. Hello, hello. Then a Market Street dive to rub elbows with the hoi polloi. Hello. Next is a Folsom Leather Bar, the dark Garth soundtrack is a refreshing change from the usual jukebox anthems, but you must avert your eyes lest you observe gentlefolk in flagrante. That means fucking. Tonight, none of these places are open unless looters are broken in. The city is shut Testing. down because of the riots. Thank you. Find me at sandrorider.com and Black Block is on Amazon. Go! www.subliminalsf.com For the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen. Graphic design for every need. And live music promotion! At some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF. Visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now! Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and you're having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. October 9th through 16th, 2022. The 7th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival is coming to you. San Francisco and beyond. So many venues this year. Atlas Cafe, Madame Racecar, The Bar on Dolores, El Rio, Baby Blues Barbecue, OMG, and the Alameda Comedy Club, as well as Emperor Norton's Boozeland and Mutiny Radio. 28 shows all week. Get your tickets at Eventbrite and for free on Sunday the 16th. It's a block party, part of the Phoenix Day block party. See you, or livable city who brought you Sunday streets. We're going to have a block party. We're going to have the bacon, bacon food truck, art vendors, 40 comedians from all over the United States outside, ready to make you laugh. Please come out to the 7th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival at eight different venues. 
October 9th through 16th, 2022. See you there. You hear me? The Poetry Show is on. The National Lawyers Guild is dedicated to the need for basic change in the structure of our political and economic. Robinson Jeffers lived in Big Sur most of his life. He had enough money so he could maintain his life. How about this? Much better? Okay. And if you don't feel like it? Okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> 